Hello there, and welcome to Down to Sleep. This is a podcast of softly spoken stories to help you relax and get a good night's rest. If you enjoy listening to audiobooks and bedtime stories, you have found the right podcast. And tonight, a reading from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I hope you enjoy this reading, and if you do, please do consider leaving a positive review wherever you are listening, as it really helps the podcast get shared and grow. And if you would like to hear even more books read by me, including complete audiobooks of Coraline, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and more, then join me on Patreon, where I read twice a week. That's patreon.com slash down to sleep. You get to vote on what book I read next, and you get two episodes every single week. Now, let's tuck you in. Take a nice deep breath, and let's get down to sleep with the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Chapter 1 You don't know me. Without you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. But that ain't no matter. That book was made by Mr. Mark Twain, and he told the truth, mainly. There was things which he stretched, but mainly he told the truth. That is nothing. I never seen anybody but lied one time or another, without it was Aunt Polly or the widow or maybe Mary. Aunt Polly, Tom's Aunt Polly she is, and Mary and the widow Douglas is all told about in that book, which is mostly a true book, with some stretches, as I said before. Now the way that the book winds up is this. Tom and me found the money that the robbers hid in the cave, and it made us rich. We got $6,000 apiece, all gold. It was an awful sight of money when it piled up. Well, Judge Thatcher, he took it and put it out at interest, and it fetched us a dollar a day apiece all the year round, more than a body could tell what to do with. The widow Douglas, she took me for her son, and allowed she would civilize me, but it was rough living in the house all the time considering how dismal, regular, and decent the widow was in all her ways. So when I couldn't stand it no longer, I lit out. I got into my old rags and my sugar hogshead again, and was free and satisfied. But Tom Sawyer, he hunted me up, said he was going to start a band of robbers, and I might join if I would go back to the widow and be respectable. So I went back. The widow, she cried over me, called me a poor lost lamb. She called me a lot of other names too, but she never meant no harm by it. She put me in them new clothes again, and I couldn't do nothing but sweat and sweat, feel all cramped up. Well, the old thing commenced again. The window rung a bell for supper, and you had to come to time. When you got to the table, you couldn't go right to eating. You had to wait for the widow to tuck down her head and grumble a little over the victuals. Though there wasn't really anything the matter with them, that is. Nothing, only everything, was cooked by itself. In a barrel of odds and ends, it's different. Things get mixed up. The juice kinda swaps around. Things go better. After supper, she got out her book and learned me about Moses and bulrushes and I was in a sweat to find out all about him. But by and by she let it out that Moses had been dead a considerable long time. So then I didn't care no more about him, because I don't take no stock in dead people. Pretty soon, I wanted to smoke, 
and asked the widow to let me, but she wouldn't. She said it was a mean practice and wasn't clean, and I must try to not do it any more. That is just the way with some people. They get down on a thing when they don't know nothing about it. Here she was bothering about Moses, which was no kin to her, no use to anybody, being gone, you see, yet finding a power of fault with me for doing a thing that had some good in it. And she took snuff, too. Of course, that was all right, because she'd done it herself. Her sister, Miss Watson, a tolerable slim old maid with goggles on, had just come to live with her, took a set at me now with a spelling book. She worked me middle and hard for about an hour, and then the widow made her ease up. I couldn't stand it much longer. Then for an hour it was deadly dull, and I was fidgety. Miss Watson would say, Don't put your feet up there, Huckleberry. Don't scrunch up like that, Huckleberry. Sit up straight. Pretty soon, she would say, Don't gap and stretch like that, Huckleberry. Why don't you try to behave? Then she told me all about the bad place. I said I wished I was there. She got mad then, but I didn't mean no harm. All I wanted was to go somewheres. All I wanted was a change. I wasn't particular. She said it was wicked to say what I said, and she wouldn't say it for the whole world. She was going to live so as to go to the good place. Well, I couldn't see no advantage in going where she was going, so I made up my mind I wouldn't try for it. But I never said so, because it would only make trouble and wouldn't do no good. Now she had got a start. She went on and told me all about the good place. She said all the body would have to do there was go around all day long with a harp and sing, forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that, because I wanted him and me to be together. Miss Watson, she kept pecking at me, and it got tiresome and lonesome. By and by, she fetched the people in and had prayers. Everybody was off to bed. I went up to my room with a piece of candle and put it on the table. I sat down in a chair by the window and tried to think of something cheerful, but it weren't no use. I felt so lonesome I most wished I was dead. The stars were shining, the leaves rustled in the woods ever so mournful. I heard an owl, away off, hoo-hooing about somebody that was dead, a whippoorwill and a dog crying about somebody that was going to die. The wind was trying to whisper something to me. I couldn't make out what it was, so it made the cold shivers run over me. Then away out in the woods I heard that kind of a sound that a ghost makes when it wants to tell you about something that's on its mind and can't make itself understood. So it can't rest easy in its grave and has to go about that way every night grieving. I got so downhearted and scared I did wish I had some company. Pretty soon a spider went crawling up my shoulder. I flipped it off and it lit in the candle. Before I could budge it was all shriveled up. I didn't need anybody to tell me that was an awful bad sign and would fetch me some bad luck. I was scared. Shook the clothes off me. I got up and turned around in my tracks three times and crossed my breast every time. I tied up a little lock of hair with a thread to keep witches away, but 
I had no confidence. You do that when you've lost a horseshoe that you've found instead of nailing it up over the door, but I had never heard anybody say it was any way to keep off bad luck when you killed a spider. I sat down again, a shaking all over, and got out my pipe for a smoke. For the house was as still as death. The widow wouldn't know. After a long time, I heard the clock away off in the town go boom, 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 twelve licks. All still again. Stiller than ever. Pretty soon, I heard a twig snap down in the dark amongst the trees. Something was a-stirring. I sat still and listened. Directly, I could just barely hear a meow down there. That was good, says I. Meow, as soft as I could. I put out the light and scrambled out of the window onto the shed. I slipped down onto the ground, in among the trees, and sure enough, there was Tom Sawyer waiting for me. We went tiptoeing along a path amongst the trees, back towards the end of the widow's garden, stooping down so the branches wouldn't scrape our heads. When we was passing by the kitchen, I fell over a root, made a noise. We scrouched down and laid still. Miss Watson's big servant named Jim was sitting in the kitchen door. We could see him pretty clear, because there was a light behind him. He got up and stretched his neck out about a minute, listening. He says, Who there? He listened some more, then come tiptoeing down and stood right between us. We could have touched him. Nearly. Likely it was minutes and minutes there weren't a sound, and we all there so close together. There was a place on my ankle that got to itching, but I didn't scratch it. My ear began to itch and next my back right between my shoulders. Seemed like I'd die if I couldn't scratch. I've noticed that thing plenty of times since. If you're with the quality or at a funeral trying to go to sleep, when you ain't sleepy. If you were anywheres where it won't do for you to scratch. Why, you will itch all over in upwards of a thousand places. Pretty soon Jim says, Say, who is you? Where is you? Don't my cat say if I didn't hear something. I know what I was going to do. I was going to sit down here and listen till I hears it again. So he sat down on the ground betwixt me and Tom. He leaned his back up against a tree and stretched his legs out till one of them most touched one of mine. My nose began to itch. It itched till tears come into my eyes. But I dare not scratch. It begun to itch on the inside. Next I got to itching underneath. I didn't know how I was going to sit still. This miserableness went on as much as six or seven minutes. It seemed a sight longer than that. I was itching in eleven different places now. I reckoned I couldn't stand it any more in a minute longer. But I set my teeth hard and I got ready to try. Just then, Jim begun to breathe heavy. Next, he begun to snore. And then I was pretty soon comfortable again. Tom, he made a sign to me, kind of a little noise with his mouth. We went creeping away on our hands and knees. When we was ten foot off, Tom whispered to me and wanted to tie Jim to the tree for fun, but I said no, he might wake up and make a disturbance. They'd find out that I weren't in. Tom said he hadn't got candles enough and 
he would slip in the kitchen to get some more. I didn't want him to try. I said, Jim might wake up and come. But Tom wanted to risk it. So he slid in there and got three candles, and Tom laid five cents on the table for pay. Then we got out, and I was in a sweat to get away. Nothing would do Tom, but he must crawl to where Jim was on his hands and knees and play something on him. I waited. It seemed a good while. Everything was still and lonesome. As soon as Tom was back, we cut along the path around the garden fence. By the by, fetched up on the steep top of the hill on the other side of the house. Tom said he slipped Jim's hat off his head, hung it on a limb right over him. Jim stirred a little, but he didn't wake. Afterwards, Jim said the witches bewitched him and put him in a trance, rode him all over the state, set him under the tree again, hung his hat on a limb to show who done it. Next time Jim told it, he said they rode him down to New Orleans, and after that every time he told it spread more and more. By and by, he said they rode him all over the world, tied him most to death. His back was saddle boils. Jim was monstrous proud about it. Well... When Tom and me got to the edge of the hilltop, we looked away down into the village. We could see three or four lights twinkling, where there was sick folks, maybe. The stars over us was sparkling ever so fine. Down by the village was the river, a whole mile broad, awfully still and grand. We went down the hill and found Joe Harper and Ben Rogers, and two or three more of the boys, hid in the old tanyard. We unhitched a skiff, pulled down the river two mile and a half to the big scar on the hillside and went ashore. We went to a clump of bushes, and Tom made everybody swear to keep the secret, showed them a hole in the hill right in the thickest part of the bush. We lit the candles and crawled in on our hands and knees. We went about two hundred yards, and then the cave opened up. Tom poked about amongst the passages and pretty soon ducked under a wall where you wouldn't notice that there was a hole. We went along a narrow place and got into a kind of room, all damp and sweaty and cold, and there we stopped, and Tom says, Now, we'll start this band of robbers and call it Tom Sawyer's Gang. Everybody that wants to join has got to take an oath and write his name in blood. Everybody was willing, so Tom got out a sheet of paper that he had wrote the oath on and read it. It swore every boy to stick to the band, never tell any of the secrets. If anybody done anything to any boy in the band, whichever boy was ordered to kill that person and his family must do it. He mustn't eat, he mustn't sleep till he had killed them, hacked a cross in the breast. A sign of the band. Nobody that didn't belong to the band could use the mark, and if he did, he must be sued. If he done it again, he must be killed. If anybody that belonged to the band told the secrets, he must have his throat cut, his carcass burnt up, the ashes scattered around, his name blotted off of the list with blood, never mentioned again by the gang, a curse put on it and forgot forever. Everybody said it was a real beautiful oath. Asked Tom if he got it out of his own head. He said, some of it. The rest was pirate books and robber books, and every gang that was high-toned had it. Some thought it would be good to kill the families of boys that told the secrets. Tom said it was a good idea, so he took pencil and wrote it in. Ben Rogers says, Here's Huck Finn. He ain't got no family. What are you going to do about him? Well, ain't he got a father, said Tom Sawyer. Yeah, he's got a father, but you can't never find him these days. 
who used to lay drunk with the hogs in the tan yard, but he ain't been seen in these parts for a year or more. They talked it over, and they was going to rule me out, because they said every boy must have a family or somebody to kill, else it wouldn't be fair and square. Well, nobody could think of anything to do. Everybody was stumped. Set still. I was most ready to cry. But all at once I thought of a way. I offered them Miss Watson. They could kill her. Everybody said, Oh, she'll do. That's all right. Huck can come in. They all stuck a pin on their fingers to get blood to sign with, and I made my mark on the paper. Now, says Ben Rogers, what's the line of business of this gang? Nothing, only robbery and murder, Tom said. But who are we going to rob? Houses or cattle or stuff? Stealing cattle and such things ain't robbery. It's burglary, says Tom Sawyer. We ain't burglars. That ain't no sort of style. We are highwaymen. We stop stages and carriages on the road with masks on. Kill people, take their watches and money. Must we always kill the people? Oh, certainly. It's best. Some authorities think different, but mostly it's considered best to kill them. Except that you ring to the cave here, some of them. Keep them till they're ransomed. Ransomed? What's that? I don't know, but it's what they do. I've seen it in books. Of course, that's what we got to do. But how can we do it if we don't know what it is? Why, blame it all. We got to do it. Don't I tell you it's in the books? Do you want to go to doing different from what's in the books and get things muddled up? Oh, that's all very fine to say, Tom Sawyer, but how in the nation are these fellows going to be ransomed if we don't know how to do it to them? That's the thing I want to get at. Now, what do you reckon it is? Well, I don't know. Perhaps if we keep them till they're ransomed, it means that we keep them till they're dead. Now, that's something like that'll answer. Why couldn't you have said that before? We'll keep them till they're ransomed to death. And a bothersome lot they'll be, too, eating up everything. Always trying to get loose. How you talk, Ben Rogers. How can they get loose when there's a guard over them, ready to shoot them down if they move a peg? A guard? Well, that is good. So somebody's got to set up all night and never get any sleep, just so as to watch him. I think that's foolishness. Why can't a body take a club and a ransom them as soon as they get here? Because it ain't in the books, so that's why. Now, Ben Rogers, do you want to do things regular or don't you? That's the idea. Don't you reckon that people that made the books knows what's the correct thing to do? Do you reckon you can learn? Not by a good deal, no, sir. We'll just go on and ransom them in the regular way. All right, I don't mind. But I say it's a full way anyhow. Do we kill the women too? Well, Ben Rogers, if I was as ignorant as you, I wouldn't let on. Kill the women? No. Nobody ever saw anything in the books like that. You fetch them to the cave. You're always polite as pie to them. And by the by, they fall in love with you and never want to go home no more. Well, if that's the way, then I'm agreed, but I don't take no stock in it. Mighty soon we'll have the cave cluttered up with women and fellows waiting to be ransomed. There won't be no place for the robbers, but go ahead. I ain't got nothing to say. Little Tommy Barnes was asleep now, and when they waked him up, he was scared and cried. Said he wanted to go home to his ma. Didn't want to be a robber no more. They all made fun of him, called him Crybaby, and that made him mad. 
He said he would go straight and tell all the secrets. Tom gave him five cents to keep quiet. Said we'd all go home and meet next week. Rob somebody, kill some people. Ben Rogers said he couldn't get out much, only Sundays. So he wanted to begin next Sunday. But all the boys said it would be wicked to do it on a Sunday, and that settled the thing. They agreed to get together and fix a day as soon as they could. We elected Tom Sawyer first captain, and Joe Harper second captain of the gang, and started home. I climbed up the shed and crept into my window just before day was breaking. My new clothes was all greased up and clay, and I was dog-tired. Well, I got a good going over in the morning from old Miss Watson on account of my clothes. But the widow, she didn't scold, only cleaned off the grease and clay and looked so sorry that I thought I would behave a while if I could. Then Miss Watson, she took me in the closet and prayed, but nothing came of it. She told me to pray every day, and whatever I asked for, I would get it. But it weren't so. I tried it. Once I got a fish line with no hooks. Weren't any good to me without hooks. I tried for the hooks three or four times, but somehow I couldn't make it work. By and by, one day, I asked Miss Watson to try for me, but she said I was a fool. She never told me why, and I couldn't make it out no way. I sat down one time back in the woods and had a long think about it. I says to myself, if a body can get anything they pray for, why don't Deacon Wynne get back the money he lost on pork? Why can't the widow get back her silver snuff box that was stole? Why can't Miss Watson fat up? No, says I, there ain't nothing in it. I went and told the widow about it, and she said the thing a body could get by praying was spiritual gifts. This was too many for me, but she told me what she meant. I must help other people, do everything I could for other people, look out for them all the time, never think about myself. This was including Miss Watson as I took it. I went out in the woods and turned it over in my mind a long time, but I couldn't see no advantage about it except for the other people. So at last I reckoned I wouldn't worry about it anymore, but just let it go. Sometimes the widow would take me one side and talk about providence in a way to make a body's mouth water, and maybe next day Miss Watson would take a hold and knock it all down again. I judged I could see that there was two providences, and a poor chap would stand considerable show with the widow's providence, but if Miss Watson's got him, there ain't no help from no more. I thought it all out and reckoned I would belong to the widows if he wanted me. Though I couldn't make out how he was going to be any better off than what he was before. Seeing I was so ignorant, so kind of low down and ornery. Pappy hadn't been seen for more than a year. And that was comfortable for me. I didn't want to see him no more. He used to always wail me when he was sober could get his hands on me. I used to take to the woods most of the time when he was around. About this time he was found in the river drowned, about twelve mile above town, so people said. They judged it was him anyway, said this drowned man was just his size, was ragged, had uncommon long hair, just like Pap. They couldn't make nothing out of the face, because it had been in the water so long it weren't much like a face at all. They said he was floating on his back in the water. They took him and buried him on the bank. I weren't comfortable long, because I happened to think of something. 
I knowed mighty well that a drowned man don't float on his back but on his face. So I knowed then that this weren't pap but a woman dressed up in man's clothes. So I was uncomfortable again. I judged the old man would turn up again by and by, though I wished he wouldn't. We played robber now and then about a month, and then I resigned. All the boys did. We hadn't robbed nobody, hadn't killed any people, but just pretended. We used to hop out of the woods, go charging down on hog drivers and women in carts, taking garden stuff to market, but we never hived any of them. Tom Sawyer called the hogs ingots, and he called the turnips and stuff jewelry. We would go to the cave and powwow over what we had done, how many people we killed and marked. I couldn't see no profit in it. One time Tom sent a boy to run about town with a blazing stick which he called a slogan, which was the sign for the gang to get together. Then he said he got secret news by his spies the next day a whole parcel of Spanish merchants and rich Arabs were going to camp in Cave Hollow with two hundred elephants, six hundred camels, thousand-something mules, all loaded down with diamonds, and they didn't have only a guard of four hundred soldiers. And so we would lay in ambush, as he called it, kill the lot and scoop the things. He said we must slick up our swords and guns and get ready. He never could go after even a turnip cart, but he must have the swords and guns all scoured up for it, though this was only lath and broomsticks, and you might scour them till you rotted. They weren't worth a mouthful of ashes more than what they was before. I didn't believe we could lick such a crowd of Spaniards, but I wanted to see the camels and the elephants, so I was on hand. Saturday in the ambush, and when we got the word, we rushed out of the woods and down the hill, but there weren't no Spaniards and Arabs. There weren't no camels, nor no elephants. Weren't anything but a Sunday school picnic. Only a primer class at that. We busted it up and chased the children up the hollow, but... We never got anything but some doughnuts and jam. Ben Rogers got a rag doll, and Joe Harper got a hymn book and a tract. Then the teacher charged in, made us drop everything and cut. I didn't see no diamonds, I told Tom Sawyer. He said there were loads of them there. Anyway, he said there was Arabs there too, and elephants and things. I said, why couldn't we see them then? He said if I weren't so ignorant but had read a book called Don Quixote I would know, without asking. He said it was all done by enchantment. He said there was hundreds of soldiers there, and elephants and treasure and so on. But we had enemies, which he called magicians. They had turned the whole thing into an infant Sunday school, just out of spite. I said, all right. Then the thing for us to do was to go for the magicians. Tom Sawyer said I was a numbskull. Why, said he, a magician could call up a lot of genies. They would hash you up like nothing before you could say Jack Robinson. They are as tall as a tree, as big around as a church. Well, I says, suppose we can get some genies to help us. Can't we lick the other crowd then? How are you going to get them? I don't know. How do they get them? Why, they rub an old tin lamp or an iron ring. The genies come tearing in, with thunder and lightning a-ripping around, and the smoke a-rolling. Everything they're told to do, they up and do it. They don't think nothing of pulling a shot tower up by the roots, 
belt and a Sunday school superintendent over the head with it, or any other man. Who makes them tear around so? Why, whoever rubs the lamp, or the ring. They belong to whoever rubs the lamp or the ring. They gotta do whatever he says. If he tells them to build a palace forty miles long out of diamonds and fill it full of chewing gum, whatever you want. Fetch an emperor's daughter from China for you to marry, they gotta do it. They've gotta do it before sunup next morning, too. And more. They gotta waltz that palace around over the country wherever you want it. You understand? Well, says I, I think they're a pack of flatheads for not keeping the palace themselves that are fooling them away like that. What's more, if I was one of them, I would see a man in Jericho before I would drop my business, come to him for the rubbing of an old tin lamp. How you talk, Huck Finn. You'd have to come when he rubbed it, whether you wanted to or not. What? An eye as high as a tree and as big as a church? All right, then I would come, but I lay I'd make that man climb the highest tree there was in the country. Shucks, it ain't no use to talk to you, Huck Finn. You don't seem to know anything somehow. Perfect saphead. I thought all this over for two or three days. Then I reckoned I would see if there was anything in it. I got an old tin lamp and an iron ring and I went out in the woods and I rubbed and I rubbed until I sweat like an engine, calculating to build a palace and sell it. It were no use, none of the genies come. I judged that all the stuff was only just one of Tom Sawyer's lies. I reckoned he believed in the Arabs and the elephants, but as for me, I think different. It had all the marks of a Sunday school. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. Be sure to leave a positive review. Let me know if you'd like to hear more of this book and perhaps consider joining me on Patreon to hear longer episodes and even more books with two brand new readings every week. Thank you and good night.